What's up, guys? Connor O'Hanlon here for another episode of the Con O Show. And it feels like it's been a long time since we last talked because of last week's interview, which was great. So go check that out uh, with Tiffany Thomas-Smith, who's running for Bucks County Court of Common Pleas. But it feels like it's been so long since I've had an episode just like our normal episodes. So it feels good to be, you know, back per se. Uh, we do have some more interviews in the works coming up. Um, a few, actually. I have at least a good amount of guests lined up Uh that I just have to schedule, which is not necessarily my forte. However, look forward to those because they're coming soon. Uh, This week, we're going to be covering two main topics. One is functionally um, my Black History Month uh, celebration in a way. It's more of a educational opportunity to discuss the more radical elements of the Black labor movement, um, and not necessarily labor movement, the civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to discuss at least three different people that I, uh, look up to admire throughout history. And, you know, obviously there's, there's two of them that you probably already know of off the top, off the top of your head, but we're going to discuss them, how it goes till today, how these things still affect people today. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about something that also may not be, very welcoming or fun to accept if you are a leftist or a liberal or a democrat in general because i'm going to be doing pretty much my first full-fledged post post presidential election joe biden criticism and i think it's long overdue at this point but i wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and we're going to be discussing that as i see fit so Buckle up, be ready for that, because that part's going to be rather frustrating as someone that has helped get him elected. So, before all of that, I want to throw out that we have a goal here at the show um, to improve our quality and the quantity of the content that we are putting out, and I am getting better at the quantity and Josh, who is my editor is helping me with the quality significantly. Um, so if you guys would, we have a goal of getting 10 patrons on our brand new Patreon, uh, which I will be linking down below, but it'll be patreon.com slash the con O show. Even if you can just give a few dollars and we're going to be coming up with some new tiers over time, we're going to have some basic tiers to start with. It would really mean a lot. $5 a month can really go a long way to helping me pay Josh or to pay for promoting um, our social media posts that we can grow and that we can grow the progressive movement because it all starts locally. It all starts small. It starts with the grassroots. So if you can spare just $5, that would mean a ton because then we can really grow the show. With that, we'll dive right into the actual programming today. So obviously February is Black History Month. And by the time this is releasing, it's pretty much always going to, it's basically going to be March. But... Um, I wanted to dedicate at least one half of the of a show solely to talk about black history and to talk about um, how these things have had a through line throughout 
the United States history. I'm going to start with uh, three radicals of their time, and then we're going to we we will discuss some of the more uh, progressive people of today's era. Um, so the three people I want to discuss are Martin Luther King, obviously. Malcolm X, which is the other one that I feel like is obvious. And then I want to discuss Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers, because these are two groups and people that are actually being talked about a lot lately, but are also misunderstood. <clears throat> so we'll start with MLK because MLK is the most well-known. MLK is obviously the most influential of these groups of people. Um, specifically, what I want to talk about with MLK is not his I have a dream speech that everyone knows, not exactly the letters from a Birmingham jail, not his sit-ins that everyone knows. What I want to talk about here, here and now is that Martin Luther King Jr. was an avid criti uh, critic of capitalism. And look, this is coming from someone that's a social democrat, you know, I like mixed mixed economies. I like having certain parts of the economy be, you know, more capitalist in nature. And I like the public ownership of the means of production in other aspects like healthcare. This is, I think, the most ideal situation. You know, we can go back and forth with that stuff. But Martin Luther King Jr. was a democratic socialist, which is to the left of a social democrat. For clarif uh, clarity, this guy, Bernie Sanders, ran as a, de a democratic socialist. And you know what? In his personal life, he might be a democratic socialist. We don't know. But he really was representing social democracy. A, a democratic socialist is more of an actual socialist that, that believes that workers should own the means of production and also should have government that has representation through elections. It's basically a very, very simple uh, definition of democratic socialist. It's basically a socialist that likes democracy. Um, and, you know, these things get conflated and then that means, oh, is he a communist or is he a Marxist? No, not necessarily. Um, Marxism overlaps with all these forms, but specifically... Social democratic socialists just means they want the workers to own the means of production. Now, in today's day in society, uh, democratic socialism basically means social democracy, which is what I am. But when we're talking about you and me, people that are engaging in this a little bit deeper political um, discussion, these more nuanced political discussions, I'd rather use the, the, the actual term. Uh, as time goes on, maybe democratic socialist becomes the social de uh, democrat label, uh, which I think it, it will. Um, however, Martin Luther King was a democratic socialist. M Martin Luther King was a radical of his time. He was an avid uh, critic of, uh, you know, Coca-Cola and v the Vietnam War and all of these things that were just representations of modern day capitalism of his time. We need to disconnect the whitewashed version that we're given in history class from the actual version of, L of MLK because they're not the same. 
MLK was not just this beloved black person by all white people north of Alabama. I mean, Bull Connor and the people in Alabama, yeah, they were bad. But people in the 60s were still racist in the north. And people today are still racist. Um, They still exist. The fact is that if Martin Luther King Jr. was alive today, I really don't know if he would be as revered as we all think. I think that a contingent, and you could draw your own conclusions here, a contingent of this country would still be calling him a radical, would still be calling him a Marxist, would still be calling him all the things that they did 50, 60 years ago. And 60 years ago, the same way that they do with Black Lives Matter, they blamed Martin Luther King for riots when we all know that Martin Luther King was an advocate for peaceful protest, but they used it as a wedge to scare white suburban people like myself, but I don't fall into this trap, but I'm just saying as an example, people like me that would be or could be susceptible because the places that I grew up were overwhelmingly white. People that grew up in the suburbs, and I can see it now, are susceptible to this fear-mongering. So what they did was they tried to pin these people, white people, against black people. And by doing so, they would frame... There's newspaper articles of Martin Luther King Jr., you know, cartoons and all this other stuff saying, you know, this is the riots and blah, blah, blah. This is his America and doing all this other stuff. The same exact way they did with Black Lives Matter. A hundred percent the same way. If you don't believe me, just look it up. It's very easy. You got the Google machine. Martin Luther King was a radical. And I actually like putting him in that radical perspective because it actually contextualizes his time. It contextualizes everything that he was going through in his era. And without knowing that he was deemed as a radical, then we get these whitewashed versions of him being this fully uniting person. It's the same thing. Like I've been told that, you know, I was told from people because I look up to Muhammad Ali, you know, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't have liked him back in the day. Because he was, you know, you know, he was a part of the nation of Islam. And we're going to talk about that in a second um, with with Mar- uh, Malcolm X. You know, he was just, you know, whatever. He was a radical and this and that. He was. But no, I, I, I think I, I think I would. And, and especially being the person that I am today. And that's the trick is. We today need to accept and realize that the context of the 60s, which uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X lived, was a different time and not a different time. People alive today were protesting for segregation, for keeping black kids out of schools with white kids. They were protesting that, and they're, they're alive today. There are also people alive today that were white allies. 
And, you know, we can all like to pretend that we were going to be, we're all on the, always going to be on the right side of history in retrospect, right? But it's important to note that we're living in history right now. And I use MLK as this example before we move on because he's the easiest. But if you think you would have been out there with Martin Luther King Jr., the same way actually that Bernie Sanders was, he got arrested doing that. If you believe that, that if you, you know, were in Alabama, in Birmingham, you would have been out there protesting with him. Then today, you have no right to critique Black Lives Matter or the protests that are advocating for black liberation and black equality because they're fighting for the same goals. They're the natural extension of what MLK was doing. With that, I want to move on to Malcolm X, who is a definitely more radical figure in the scheme of yeah I shouldn't even say in the in the grand scheme of things it's a, Malcolm X is a controversial figure he's an he's a complex figure and that's why I think I'm drawn to him he's not so black and white he is not he's never been whitewashed to be black and white he's always been labeled the radical the counter to uh, Martin Luther King Jr and I like this. I like having the dynamic of, okay, this is what's acceptable to some people is Martin Luther King and Malcolm X is, is not so acceptable to people. And he pushes those boundaries. And I think that's important. And I'll get back to that in a second. But if you guys have not, I have two books here, but if you have not read this book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X, I suggest that you do it. Um, I believe it was Time Magazine had like a book you should read for every year in your life. And this one was for when you were 23. It just so happens that I had picked it up before I saw that list and I was 23 and it was during a time when I was running for office. And it really, it really... It was really an inspiration and the book goes over so, so much, um, the, his whole life, the trials and tribulations of a, of a troubled youth, essentially. And I also will, will come back in a second to his assassination, but he, he was a troubled kid. His father was mutilated in the streets um, when he was a kid. He was into crime and he was into being the social, you know, life of the party, I guess, in a way. But he got caught in an armed robbery. And I know a lot of people probably don't know this. So Malcolm X spent a, a good, I think it was seven years in prison. And in that time, he had access to the library. And funny enough, he read so much that his eyes, because he was reading in the dark, his eyes started to go on him. He had to get, you know, the, you know his, his famous glasses, basically. <laughs> Those glasses that he, everyone knows that he wears. Because he was reading so much in the dark in his prison cell. 
and he educated himself on a plethora of ideologies and on um, history, etc. Now, the man that came out of prison was someone that joined the Nation of Islam. And the Nation of Islam is definitely a controversial group. Um, and obviously was connected with Elijah Muhammad and some other people that not, not the greatest of all time, but <laughs> that's for another time, I guess, is that discussion. And over time, the nation of Islam and Malcolm X started to see differently. And Malcolm went to uh, the Middle East, and I'm not, I'm not, I am going to butcher the name of wherever he went. I forget where he went exactly off the top of my head, but he went on a voyage in a religious voyage, um, around, uh, in Israel. I forget where it is, but, and he, what he saw there changed his life. And I think that's important. Be, this is important noting here because as Americans, we have a very specific viewpoint of race, a very spe specific viewpoint of the dynamics between the races. Because in, in Europe, you, per se, you know, you, just because you look like me doesn't mean that you're exactly just white. It doesn't mean the same thing as it does in America because I'm Irish and I am Italian. And that doesn't mean that I would be oppressed, but it would mean that I am different than, say, someone that is British or is Swedish or, you know, etc. We're not just white if you come from Europe. In America, it's mostly just black and white. It's it's very it's very simplified. And in the book, Malcolm talks about his voyage in which he met people that were both black, white, um, is uh, I mean Middle Eastern, uh, Asian, you know, all different uh, people that look differently than him. And he said, basically, that the it's the first time that a white person basically didn't treat him differently. They, they all had something in common, and that was their religion. And, you know, I am agnostic religiously, personally. But people, whatever it takes sometimes to re realize that people are the same. We're, we're different, but we're the same. And... By that, I mean, we, we want social cohesion. We want to have people that like us and love us and engage with us and are like us in, in, in many ways, you know, similar interests. And for Malcolm, that voyage was the turning point in which he was starting to become a true, a truly, I mean, some of the stuff that he was saying in his later life, especially is, is some of the most incredible stuff. Um, and it would have been so powerful as he saw that white people and black people were the same. We have different histories and different contexts and, but we're the same. We're, we're all the human race. And what's specifically interesting, um, about Malcolm that has come out in the last week is that there are now reports that that 
exactly kind of clarify that the NYPD and the FBI had coaxed, I guess, some of Malcolm X's security detail because Malcolm X was wanted by a bunch of different people, uh, including who I'll talk about in a second, COINTELPRO, uh, the FBI more broadly, the Nation of Islam started to come after him, etc. And Malcolm, he had a security detail that was infiltrated by the FBI and was basically lulled into a, a sense of complacency because two of his most you know, trusted security people were arrested after being, uh, again, coaxed into committing federal crimes. Um, and you know what? There, that's, a, that's a complex issue that we can discuss another time. But once they did that, they infiltrated his security detail and basically allowed the assassination to happen. Now, there's not necessarily proof that the FBI did the assassination, but the fact is that they got in there to allow the assassination. And I'll also point out here that what I'm going to discuss about in the next section here with Fred Hampton also applies to Malcolm X and also applies to Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so the last person that I'm going to discuss in this part of the episode is Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. The reason why I choose Fred Hampton is because he's personally inspirational to me and I think he's very moving um, and we'll, we'll, we'll understand why in a second here. But Fred Hampton, again, was a kid. He had so much, so much, you know, vibrato and life and power in his speeches. And it's, you know, he's one of those people that you can listen to him speak. And even if you disagree, you know that he's, he's, he can move you. And again, here's an here's the other book that I suggest you guys read is The Assassination of Fred Hampton by Jeffrey Haas. And that book goes through mostly what happened to Fred and what happened after Fred was assassinated. And really, I think it's important to note that Fred was probably probably the most radical of all of the three that we're discussing here. But Fred Hampton was the is the creator of the Black Panther Breakfast pro, uh, program. And for those who don't really know and just think that the Black Panthers are people that carry around guns, that's not really the case. Now, the Black Panthers believed in self-defense and they carried guns and they wore the, you know, the Black Berets and all that stuff. But mostly, a lot of that was the California Black Panthers, which... We've discussed before, but that's the, they're the ones that, you know, went and uh, went to the, the Capitol building. And that's why Reagan passed <laughs> passed gun laws to restrict black people from having guns, etc. That's a story for another time. But uh, Fred Hampton was from Chicago and in Chicago, there was the Black Panther movement that was a little bit different than the West Coast Black Panther movement. And Fred Hampton created the breakfast program that made sure that every kid in Chicago, specifically, they were they were trying to help out black kids because 
black kids at the time were more disproportional. I mean, I could probably say it now are pro are disproportionately impoverished based on a history of, I mean, one enslavement, two Jim Crow, and three the systematic uh, oppression since in a various different ways. So the idea was if you if you provide kids with that first meal, that that social gathering to just come together, have that meal, and then you can go to school or you can go and do this and that. It, it was an idea that was revolutionary. And unfortunately, there were some people that didn't like those ideas and didn't like the education that the Black Panther was were giving to people and because it was radicalizing. I mean, frankly, it was. And radical doesn't necessarily mean bad. And in that, Fred became the target of the FBI, the same as Martin Luther King and same as Malcolm X. And there became a program that was created by J. Edgar Hoover called COINTELPRO, or more like if you speak the full name, it's counterintelligence program. It's very simple. But COINTELPRO was the targeting of specific black leaders that uh, didn't adhere to, quote, and I'm, I am pointing this out that I'm quoting because I don't want, <laughs> I don't believe in this crap, but that didn't believe that these um, black, they, they call, they call them black nationalists, um, wouldn't adhere to white liberal doctrine. And they were targeted and, and quote, neutralized um, to stop the spread of black nationalism and black liberation. Um, and they, they believe that cutting off the heads of these um, movements would stop the progress. And honestly, in a lot in a lot of ways, they they worked. They assassinated. Uh, I mean, we're, I, I'm I'm being a little broad. Malcolm uh, Malcolm X assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated. Fred Hampton is provably by a court of law was a was assassinated by the Chicago police in his bed at the age of 21. Fred Hampton was so radical and revolutionary and was moving so many people that by the age of 21, I am 25, by the age of 21, they had to assassinate him. Now, the reason why I find that, and, and also that is provable, that, that was proven in a court of law, that is a fact, that is not an opinion. He was murdered in his bed. And the reason why I find his story so compelling is because it shows how powerful our voices can be. It shows that age is a number and it does not limit how impactful we can be. By the age of 21, Fred Hampton was leading the Black Panthers. He was so powerful and they were so afraid of him that they had to kill him. We need to have cohesion. We need to believe 
that Fred Hampton is not an anomaly, that Malcolm X is not an anomaly, that Martin Luther King Jr. was not an anomaly, but they are leaders of their time that can be brought forward, that can be learned from and moved so that we in the 21st century can create a new civil rights front, a new civil rights movement for black people, gay people, trans people. I mean, the list goes on and on and on because we need to make sure that we protect all these marginalized groups and fight for our collective liberation. And all of them were radicals of their time. So we're going to take a quick break. I appreciate you guys for joining me today. If you like the show, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, uh, hit the like button, and you can follow the show on facebook.com slash the Con Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Con O'Hanlon. The show is on Instagram at the Con Show. And you can check out the new Patreon at patreon.com slash the Con Show. Uh, I will be right back. Welcome back to the Con O Show. I am Conor O'Hanlon, your host, and I want to take this part of the show, the second half of the long form of the show, to now kind of roll into the the black movement of today. And I want to just at least shout out, uh, even if this is not, you know, clipped or anything like that in the future for that first part, because the first part is important to know our history and, con- and context. But I think that's important that we have it separate. But in today's society, we have people that are really, really pushing the envelope and learning from the history of our country. And specifically, um, I I really enjoy, uh, obviously, you know, they're not, not all, all of them are black, but uh, the, the squad, obviously, in Congress has shown that how, uh, you know, specifically women of color um, can gain power, work collectively, and fight for, you know, people that look like you, and people that look like me, and people that look like them, and people that don't look like any of us. Um, because it's not that they're just because that's the thing, right? The the radical black movement, and I, and again, I mean radical in a in a rather good sense. Radical is just meaning it's not in the norm. It's not in the Overton window of the American politic of today. I really, really look up to and admire these these group of um, these women, you know, Cori Bush, Ayanna Presley, both of them black, um, but also, you know, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, uh, uh, Ilhan Omar, I'm probably missing some, but all of them are women of color and they fight for young people, they fight for old people, they fight for white people, they fight for black people, they fight for Asian Americans, they fight for uh, Native Americans. I mean, it it shows that being empathetic, being inclusive is key. Being above the fray, being above the uh, colorblindness of America. And that's 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 kind of what what bothers me of today and what bothers me about 
the framing of Martin Luther King Jr. is this colorblind m mindset. The mindset lends itself to believe that we're in a post-racial society because we've elected a black president, because Martin Luther King had the sit-ins and we did all of that. We have the Civil Rights Act, but remember that people had to be killed. People died to pass the Civil Rights Act. People were assassinated like Martin Luther King. <clears throat> and we're no, by no means done. And those people in the squad, great. Um, Dr. Cornell West, another person that I love listening to. And one of my goals is for someday him to be talking to me and call me Brother Connor. Because I just, <laughs> I think it would be awesome. Because, you know, he calls everyone brother in their first name or sister. And I, I just, it would be a goal of mine to have Cornell West ever talk to me, first of all. But call me that. Um, and he... He's, I've, I've listened to a book that he wrote uh, or that he read uh, by uh, about Martin Luther King. He's written the forward to another book that I have about Martin Luther King that I need to read uh, very soon. Um, but he is, he is an inspirational speaker. He is an influential speaker. He is a progressive to his core. He's been on Joe Rogan, um, which means that he has some level of mass appeal I mean, he, he hits a lot of the, the targets. He can go on Tucker Carlson and debate him. He's not just like some stooge that's going to go on there and then crap on the Democratic Party just because he can. He's going to go in there and speak truth to power because he is the epitome of someone that can do that. Um, beyond that, there are the leaders of the Black Lives Matter protests, which, again, <clears throat> there is no one leader which I actually think is key. And this is what I want to bring up in, you know, in the grand scheme of what I was talking about in the beginning. The difference this time, you know, I, I actually, it's, I find it funny. When I was interviewed, I hosted or organized, I didn't host, I organized a Black Lives Matter protest in Doylestown in this past summer. And I was interviewed by PBS and I was interviewed by a few other places. And, you know, look at me, I, I'm Irish, right? Like, what the, what the hell do I have doing uh, organizing this? And when they were at, when they were talking to me, I said, what the hell is the difference this time? Why is it that I posted on social media today or yesterday at that point and I got hundreds of people to come out in the streets? What's different? What's going to change? Why is it that we are angry now, but what was different yesterday? What was different a week ago? And I have this, it's, it's kind of almost jaded, but it's, I have this perspective because I've read about these people and look, I need to learn more. I want to learn a lot more about certain leaders in the black movement in particular, but just leaders throughout history, people, individuals, because individuals inspire groups. Individuals can lead groups of people to make movements happen because Martin Luther King was not alone. Martin Luther King had hundreds, if not thousands of people acting collectively with him. It's collective power. There were black people that were 
getting hosed and people that were doing sit-ins and getting beaten by the police. And Martin Luther King's house was burned to the ground. Martin Luther King's family was threatened. And yet he persevered and he fought on. The same thing happens with these people that were his followers. And the key and and why I fight for what I fight for is because a a certain segment of society needs to accept and admit the wrongs in our society. And being that I have white privilege, I am from a more privileged area, I found it very important to speak out and to use our voices in solidarity. That does not mean that we solved it, we did anything. And that's what I was talking about when I said, what is different? You know, we can have all these young white liberals out in the street, but what the hell is different this time? Why does it matter that we're out here? And I think I finally got it. It's that this movement is not centralized. This movement is not at the behest of, you know, some random person that might be influential and might be, you know, inspiring. But if I can hold a protest and you can hold a protest and, you know, thousands and thousands of people that are actually doing more than me can hold protests and can organize people in larger cities, in bigger numbers of people without a leader. Think about that. If we all are showing solidarity and working together collectively, how can they stop it? They can't cut off the head. You know, because when they killed Fred Hampton, they ended the breakfast program in Chicago and thousands of kids went hungry. Look that up. I promise you, it is devastating. They never provided for those people. They never provided for those kids. They didn't even give them a chance. And we want to act like we're in a post-racial society. We want to act like everything is hunky-dory. No, it's not. So, read those two books, The Assassination of Fred Hampton and The Autobiography of Malcolm X. I'm sure I have other book recommendations um, that you could read as well. Uh, If you want to know them, please leave a comment down below and I will let you know. But I just wanted to point out, and I ran out of time because, of course, this is a longer segment than just the 30 minutes I have on my camera. Uh, I, I wanted to expand on today's impact of the black movement. And we have a long ways to go. Um, Poverty disproportionately affects black people. The war on drugs disproportionately affects black black people. The prison industrial complex disproportionately affects black people. And if you must, if you want to, uh, if you're a contrarian in a sense, all of these things affect white people too. So if if you really can't get behind empathizing with somebody else, just know it could happen to you. This could have been you. I'm Irish and Italian. Very easily could it have been Irish and Italian people that were um, 
you know, cast aside and blah, blah, blah. And they're not. They never were. It's never comparable to what African-Americans especially um, have gone through in this country. But it could have been. History is what it is. But always remember that history could have been different. History could have been reversed. And it doesn't take a uh, mastermind to have empathy. It doesn't take this uh, extreme brain power to empathize and understand another person's perspective and another person's situation in their life. So please, 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 if you somehow stumble upon my video and you don't understand what I'm talking about and you don't believe what I'm talking about, Talk to somebody that looks different than you. Talk to somebody that has a different sexual orientation than you. Talk to somebody that is uh, non-binary. Talk to somebody that is transgender. Talk to someone that looks different than you. And no, talk to, I mean, talk to uh, someone that's a female. So talk to, every, everyone has different perspectives. Everyone has different life experiences. And if you can't empathize, you can never understand the struggle. You can never fight for a collective justice, which is what the United States is supposed to be about, a more equitable and more just society. So with that, we're going to move on. And we're going to move on to, I, I, uh, I am almost hesitant to even discuss some of this stuff because it's going to, one, piss me off, but two, it's going to piss off some of the viewers. But that's okay. Because it needs to be said. The last month have been the first month of the Biden administration. Now, there's been some good that Joe Biden has done, and I just, I covered that in uh, previous episodes. You know, and this needs to be updated. It needs to have the asterisk attached to those first couple of videos because Biden and his administration have attached asterisks to everything that they've done. And I wish that they didn't. I wish that I could say Joe Biden's killing it, um, which it looked like he was in the first couple of weeks, but now it's not the case. So number one, let's start with the big daddy of them all, immigration. Um, Joe Biden has supposedly put out a, pro a plan for a pathway to citizenship that hasn't been voted on. It hasn't been really debated yet. Um, good. Great. <laughs> but the most talked about story in the last couple of days, they are literally keeping people in cages. They are tearing families apart. Okay. And it's still happening. It's still happening. We want to act like it's all over. It's all good. You know, orange man gone. It's not done. I don't know why this is a controversial thing to say, but we shouldn't be putting people in cages. We shouldn't be taking kids away from their parents. We shouldn't be putting kids in cages. We can put a pause, at least a pause, on deportations. We could figure out what is going on here and try to actually alleviate the issues, but no, we're just doing the same thing and we're trying to sugarcoat it. 
the same people that were advocating against what Trump was doing now are bending over backwards to justify what Joe Biden has done. And I'm sorry if this offends you, but this is not what we're supposed to be doing. America is a nation of immigrants, people that are immigrants. And and if you're watching this and you don't believe me and you you are getting pissed off at me or, you know, look, I know that putting my opinion out there is, is it, I mean, it, it's actually kind of scary me to even talk about this because of how people are going to react. But if you, if you are afraid of immigrants, I'm sorry, you're xenophobic. If you're afraid of immigrants, you are misguided because guess what? Immigrants commit less crime. Undocumented immigrants commit less crime than natural born citizens. Undocumented immigrants commit less crime than second generation citizens or second generation immigrants. Undocumented immigrants commit less crime. They they put in more money into the society than they take out. I'm so tired of having this argument. I'm so sick and tired of talking about how undocumented immigrants are not bad people because they want to come here for a better life. They want to come here for the American dream the same way that you and I want to be here and we want to live the American dream. Now, we might have a a disagreement on whether we can actually achieve that right now, but ideally... They want to come here to better their lives. So why not make the process easier? Why not make the process simpler? We need people in this country so that we can help the aging population. We need people to work the jobs that we need to fill because guess what? There are thousands and millions of jobs that we need to do that people not necessarily uh, are going to be jumping over backwards to do. And that's not to say that undocumented immigrants have to do like the crappiest labor, but I'm saying in general, we need people. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, you know, child labor. It doesn't have to be uh, indentured servitude. It doesn't have to be all this like we need people to keep our society moving. And. I don't want to be stuck like Japan, where Japan has an aging population and they are super, super strict on immigration and their aging population is going to be in trouble when they need to retire. I believe Social Security is a right. I believe Medicare is a right. I believe all that stuff. So I want at least to provide for those people. And guess what, boomers? That includes you. So the, the immigration thing... It's, I'm, you, people need to stop sugarcoating it, okay? Those camps exist. I don't care if you want to call them, whatever you want to call them. They still exist. They're still taking kids away from their parents. They're still um, putting kids in cages, okay? If you want to have a humane society, it starts at home, okay? So, I love this country and I would like this country to be a welcoming place to immigrants. So cut it the hell out. We need to stop with that stuff. If if we want to actually change these things, we need to stop sugarcoating it and we need to talk about 
what's actually going on there. The second thing, okay, the second thing that we want to talk about is the COVID relief and specifically the minimum wage uh, because Joe Biden said $15 an hour, that's going to be in the in the package. Now, we have no stimulus package yet. It's about to be March. No stimulus package yet. No minimum wage necessarily attached to this stimulus package. I'm telling you, $15 an hour is not even a livable wage in some places. We've discussed this, why $15 an hour is a good number for a federal minimum wage, but I'm telling you, if you can't get 50 Democrats to vote for a $15 an hour minimum wage, then you don't know how to whip your votes. I'm sorry, I just smashed my microphone. You don't know how to whip your votes and you don't know how to corral your base in support of something like this because the overwhelming majority of Democrats support raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. The overwhelming the overwhelming majority of Americans suggest that raising the $15 an hour is a reasonable solution. But again, we have Senator Joe Manchin blowing it for the entire country. I'm telling, like, these people, I've talked about this before, but, and I've had these talks with other people, and they don't, it goes beyond, not, I wouldn't even say over their heads, but we're talking about people and their egos. I've dealt it with it on the local level as chairman. Egos get in the way of other people, and it gets in the way of progress and social progress when you allow it to. So Joe Manchin needs his appearance to be, I'm the moderate, I'm the centrist, I'm blah, 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 the same way that Brian Fitzpatrick does, right? And he's willing to sink the entire country to a level in which he would rather have people impoverished than have a living wage in his state of West Virginia. He would rather say, no, I'm, I need an $11 minimum wage because 15 is too much. Screw that. Screw that. So if you're Chuck Schumer, if you're Joe Biden, corral your votes. Whip your votes. $15 minimum wage, if it doesn't pass in this bill, you're honestly, you're a failure. You're a failure. Um, the third thing and the last thing that I'm going to talk about today is the student debt crisis. This one in particular pisses me off. The same authority in which Joe Biden has through the education secretary, um, through the Department of Education, that allows him to pause interest on the student loan debts indefinite, basically indefinitely, basically through uh, September is what it's currently is the same that allows him to cancel student loan debt. We've talked about this on the on the show before. He has, with one stroke of his pen, the power to cancel not $1, not $2, not 100 not 1000 
all student loan debt, if you wanted to, all student loan debt, public at least. And instead, his proposal is to say, we can give you 10000 And let's be honest here, if he actually wanted to do that, if that's what he actually was going to do, his promise, $10,000 student loan debt forgiveness, he could do it. He could do it today. He could do it yesterday. The scary part is that he hasn't. The scary part is that Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, Ayanna Presley, uh, Ilhan Omar, the, and I'm sure, yeah, I think I think Katie Porter, I mean, there's, there's more and more and more people signing on to canceling $50,000 of student loan debt. And that's a bill proposal. Joe Biden... Again, I will emphasize, has the ultimate power. He has the the pen of college college debt destruction. One over 1.5 trillion. That is trillion with a T. Dollars in student loan debt is crippling American millennials and Zoomers and Gen X now, all of them, but specifically millennials are the, the, the biggest group of people that are, are impacted right now because Zoomers are still in college. We can't buy houses. We can't buy cars. We can't start families. We can't do what our parents and our grandparents did by the age of 25 i'm sure you know 100 years ago the vast majority of people were married they had kids they were starting a family they had a house they had a car and they had the american dream of the white picket fence or they were living in the city or they were doing this or they were doing that people today do not we're talking i mean that's we're completely ignoring the fact that there there's been stagnant wages since 1980 but that's a a, a whole another story and that's a whole another rabbit hole where we will come back to another day my generation millennials have been screwed continuously and again i come from a place of privilege i'm lucky that i have a job i'm lucky that I have a job that pays me well enough. But it's, I still am in student loan debt. The vast majority of millennials are in student loan debt. And yeah, sure, it's an investment. But how about we dis, we disassociate a cost with investment that we didn't have 50 years ago, 60 years ago, because guess what? Um, I'm sorry, uh, you know, to anyone that's watching, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even, um, but when you were in college in 1950, (laughs) in 1960, in 1970, in 1980, you could work a minimum wage job, which by the way was disproportionately higher than the equivalent of a 725 an hour wage 
and you could pay your student debt off or you can actually you could pay your tuition just as you go which is not normal uh not today at least that is impossible today impossible today um it just is so if you want to invest in our society, you want to have doctors, you want to have uh, scientists, you want to have accountants like me, you want to have lawyers, you want to have uh, everything like that. On the flip side, you want to have plumbers, you want to have electricians, you want to have all these trades. Guess what? Make it free. Make it publicly financed. And then you will get people to choose these jobs to operate in society in a productive way without being crippled and not being able to buy houses, to buy cars, to, to live what is supposed to be the American dream. So Joe Biden was part of <laughs> limiting college debt cancellation. And that's why you can die with student loan debt. You can't go bankrupt and cancel it like you can with other debt. So screw that. Screw Joe Biden for that. And Joe Biden, if you really care about millennials, you really care about the American public, you will cancel all student loan debt. Not 10,000, not 50,000, all student loan debt. And you know what? He's probably not going to do that. We'd be lucky to get $10,000 at this point. So with that, without going off on another tirade and another 30 minutes on this, thank you guys for watching the show. Thank you guys for listening. If you guys enjoyed it, head on over to our brand new Patreon, patreon.com slash econo show. Help us get to 10, 10, that's all, 10 uh, paid, paid uh, patrons because we can then help grow the progressive movement. You can follow the show on facebook.com slash econo show. You can follow me at Kano Hanlon. Uh, on Twitter and make sure to hit the subscribe button hit that subscribe button down below on YouTube and until next time stay safe thank you again for watching I'll see you next week peace